0: Welcome to McClatchy's Beyond the Bubble podcast. I'm Kristen Roberts, head of news at McClatchy, and I am happy as always to be joined by my podcast partner for life, Alex Rorty, our national political correspondent. Hello, Alex.
1: Kristen, it's uh, it's wonderful to be here and I am excited about uh, our guest here today.
0: I too am kind of over the moon about it. Tim Alberta, the author of the political bestseller, American Carnage. Wait, wait, I've got it here. <laughs> Everybody see? <laughs> she
2: literally okay. Has a copy. That's a good looking cover right there. He's a national <laughs> political a writer cover.
0: at Politico Magazine. And he is one of my all time favorite colleagues. And I think Alex is too. Welcome to our show, Tim.
2: I'm so happy to see your two faces. What a great Thursday this
0: is. Isn't he sweet? This is why we like him. Okay, so why on Earth is Tim Alberta here? Tim Alberta is here because we're going to talk about his home state of Michigan. Where is Michigan, my fellow East Coasters are asking. It's one of those big ones up there by Canada, near all those lakes. It's the one that is not Wisconsin. Oh, look, he's showing us with his hand. Okay, fantastic. I can't tell so if it's
2: backwards on the mirror. It's, this is a It's okay, it's
0: the state where you think Chicago is a part of it, but it's not. It's right up above that. Okay, so listen, Michigan is perhaps the greatest example of exactly how much people underestimated the depth of disdain that America had for Hillary Clinton in 2016. Trump's win in Michigan was an all-out shocker four years ago. And today, it feels like a different story. If you were to believe the polls, and everybody who listens to this show knows that I do not, Biden is up mm, seven in Michigan. Biden has an advantage with Black voters, with independents, with seniors, with women. Trump is unsurprisingly leading with evangelical Christians. The money also points to Biden. He's spending like $10 million on the air in the state versus Trump's $3 million. Now, Tim wrote a piece in September, which was you know, just ended yesterday, that asked how long Trump would contest Michigan. And so, yes, let's figure out if that's really the right question and whether he will contest Michigan in these final weeks of the contest. First, I'm going to Alex. What is the state of play? What do the polls say?
1: Well, I think of the core six battleground states that we talk about every week on the show, North Carolina, Florida, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, it would seem that Michigan is in the worst place. Uh, for the Trump campaign, that of all the states, as Tim wrote about, it might be the one most likely that Trump is going to pull out of because he doesn't actually need to win Michigan to win the electoral college. Now, the 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 problem is though that Donald Trump, yes, he has a Michigan problem, but I think more broadly, it seems at this moment, a month before the election, he has an Upper Midwest problem. He has a Great Lakes problem. The, the same movement away from his campaign that we see in polls in Michigan, we also see in Wisconsin, and we also see in Pennsylvania. You know, there was some question about whether Pennsylvania was trending just as significantly away from Trump as the other two states. A pair of polls released this week showed Biden with a nine-point advantage um, in Pennsylvania, a state that many people see as a tipping point. And it really seems as if the problem is concentrated among white voters, um, and, and maybe in equal parts, white suburban voters and the white working class voters. And there is some speculation, and I think there needs to be probably more reporting on the, this point, that the, the reason we see, you know, in the last couple of weeks, Chris, and we have talked about Florida and North Carolina, it's two states that are still incredibly competitive, effectively dead heats in both. And we even talked with Jim Morrow of the Charlotte Observer last week about why North Carolina was so stubbornly uh, supportive of Donald Trump, even as other states seem to drift away from him. And I think one of the answers is just the white working class vote in these upper Midwest states north of the Mason-Dixon line is, is really a problem for Donald Trump right now. You could probably even specify further white working class women are a problem in a way that we don't see in some southern states, and maybe that's a, a difference between um, you know, some of the voters in the southern tend to be more evangelical, and that might be a reason, but I, I don't think there's any doubt that Michigan and the upper Midwest is a problem for Donald Trump. And I think as again, as Tim wrote about, there's some real question about how much longer Donald Trump might even compete in a state like that.
0: So what's it feel like on the ground there, Tim? We know what the polls say. Do the lawn signs agree?
2: So they, they do and they don't. I, you know, here's the thing about lawn signs, Kristen, and it was sort of a punchline four years ago, but I, I think we all recognize that, that, that there's something to this idea of visibility and, and visible intensity on the ground. So the Trump signs are still there. The biggest difference... Uh, from four years ago is that there are Biden signs now and you didn't see Hillary signs four years ago and it's not that the Biden signs have pulled up at like a one-to-one ratio with the Trump signs but what I've really been struck by and I've done a lot of driving over the last three weeks around Michigan and also into Wisconsin up in the PA you see a pretty healthy number of biden signs uh, and and that suggests to me not necessarily some groundswell of intensity for Biden, but a groundswell of intensity against Trump that was missing four years ago there There just was not this this this. Enthusiasm on the ground to defeat Donald Trump. And obviously, you know, you you could say that it's uh, sort of splitting hairs or that it's, you know, six of one, half dozen of another to talk about anti Trump intensity versus pro Democratic intensity. At the end of the day, what matters is that voters seem mobilized now in a way that they weren't four years ago matter of fact i was having a conversation with a guy in wisconsin a one of the smartest republicans in the state who's a big trump supporter and uh this was while i was out there a couple of weeks ago on a reporting trip and he said look man he's like i can tell you one thing for sure he said the intensity on the ground among the left right now is way, way surpassing what it was during the Scott Walker recall. And he said, and, and I and he wow. said for me, that was the high watermark of my lifetime. He said, I never thought we'd see democratic intensity like we saw in the in the recall. He said this is light years beyond that.
1: I, so, I assume you were going to say it was greater than the 2016 race. That's what I thought race. he not was going to say too. That's no, crazy. A freaking I know and no and,
2: and that and that like knocked me off my chair. Be I, I I was I was just a shock that You guys, and again, this is this is a guy who's a big Trump supporter, and and uh, who's working to get Trump reelected. And he said, you know, I think we need to be honest with ourselves about about what this is, you know, what this means for us, right? And you keep in mind that, look, you guys know this, but a lot of people forget, you know, Donald Trump in a state like Wisconsin, especially Donald Trump, won fewer votes in Wisconsin in 2016 than Mitt Romney won there in 2012. Like this was not some you know, uh, sort of force of nature, you know, um, norm-shattering performance by, by Trump. He, he ran well behind Ron Johnson, the, the, the U.S. senator, on the same ticket. Uh, Trump wasn't that strong in Wisconsin. It's just that Hillary Clinton was very, very, very weak. And it was the same story in Pennsylvania, and certainly it was the same story in Michigan. When you see these threadbare margins from four years ago, uh, it's it, it, sometimes uh, the all of the noise and the fury of, of the Trump presidency can make us forget that this was that that these were margins so thin and really so insignificant that anything at all could change them like any any the slightest little breeze in our in our political environment could change them and we're not looking at breezes right now right we are looking at gusts we're looking at significant changes in the political ecosystem And in a state like michigan look it's 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 ultimately pretty simple you've got a convergence of three things happening at the same time right and this is what i've seen on the ground all over the state first you've got an uptick in enthusiasm and in uh, intensity, again, to use that word, among black voters. Now, it might not be a huge uptick, right? You're not gonna see a return to Obama-era turnout levels among black voters in Detroit, Lansing, Flint, Saginaw, and elsewhere, but you're gonna see an uptick. There's almost no question about that. And any uptick, again, you're talking about a state that the president won by 10,704 votes, so any uptick among the African-American population here is gonna be meaningful. Second, you've got white college-educated suburbanites, especially in southeast Michigan in the ring of counties around Detroit. They are fleeing from Trump's GOP. We've seen that over the last four years. We saw it in 2018 when two long-time Republican safe congressional seats were flipped by Democrats. And now those two freshman Democratic congresswomen are basically viewed as locks to win re-election. Those areas that were once you know drawn specifically to be uh lockdown red districts are now purple-trending blue, and that is just a, a, a direct reflection of the critical mass of college-educated, affluent, two-car garage suburban voters in Oakland County and Livingston County that have turned their back on the Republican Party, they've turned their back on their lifelong partisan affiliation, at least as long as Trump is on the scene. And so that's the second part, and then the third part, you guys mentioned it, but it doesn't get enough attention, the white working class that Trump was so dominant with four years ago, there's this expectation that he's going to perform to that same level again. And it's going to be really, really hard. I mean, I think nationally, the number with non-college whites was 29 percent for Hillary Clinton, if I recall. I think in Michigan, it was 32 or 33 percent. Like those are anemic numbers, right? And, And Donald Trump really captured lightning in a bottle. He happened to be he happened to have this really unique appeal to the the, the blue collar white base in a state like Michigan and in PA and in Wisconsin. Uh, and he also happened to be facing somebody who was really uniquely unpopular with that same base. And so he was able to run up the score in ways that we never could have imagined. It's really hard to see Donald Trump holding Joe Biden down to that same level. And again, it's not to say that Biden's going to improve on Hillary 2016 dramatically. But even if he improves by four five, six points, these margins are so tiny that that makes all the difference. And so when you look at those three things, in conjunction, you you start to understand why Michigan has really slipped from Trump.
0: So let's dig into that piece of it because let's figure out, is Biden doing something different than Clinton did or is it just a reflection of people coming back to Biden after simply hating Clinton? What is he doing that's different? How is he taking advantage?
2: So I actually think it's mostly gravity to answer that question. I I really do. Uh, So, look, I think what Biden is doing different is that he's not Hillary Clinton. Right. And that's the like, you know, Captain Obvious answer. But really what Biden has going for him is a political brand that is palatable to a lot of these voters. Right. Joe from Scranton, the guy who takes the Amtrak to work. Right. Like at the end of the day, most voters are not super high information. They're not diving deep on the policy stances on, 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 on some of these candidates. Hillary Clinton was sort of famous in this region for talking about how a lot of these jobs aren't coming back, yeah. uh, for, for being married to the guy who signed NAFTA, and yeah. for defending it all those years later. So, like, those basic things that even a low-information voter knew about Hillary Clinton were really, really damaging to her, right? And also, let's face it, she she was— a woman who was saddled with certain pieces of baggage that Joe Biden was never going to be saddled with uh, in, in trying to appeal to some of these, you know, camouflage and Carhartt wearing voters in mid-Michigan. And at the end of the day, like Biden has, uh, a- at least Biden can get a foot in the door with these people and present a message to them in a way that Hillary Clinton probably couldn't in a lot of cases. So I think that that's a big part of it. But ultimately, it's gravity. Like the the, the the blue collar base of the Democratic Party has uh, ha- has dried up over the last 20 years. We've seen that. Uh, you know, there's been this massive political realignment in America that's seen sort of this class inversion. Our old colleague Ron Brownstein's written so much about. Uh, but there are still strong remnants of that 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 labor Democratic. Uh, Household that that you see, and 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 I've talked with some of these voters. Uh, I was up at a UAW plant in Lansing about a month and a half ago, and I spent the afternoon talking with a bunch of the UAW members at local 752, I think it was, and um and and a bunch of these guys told me, look, I didn't vote four years ago. Uh, I, you know, I'm am a loyal Democrat, and I believe in uh, the Democratic Party, like in my blood. It's like who my family has has backed for generations, but I just I, you know, I couldn't bring myself to vote for Hillary Clinton, but I also felt like it was almost going to be a betrayal to vote for Donald Trump. So I just sat it out. Right. Some of those voters, they're going to come back in the fold this time around. There's just no doubt about it. And then also, you know, Donald Trump. Was an experimental drug for a lot of those same voters. People who <laughs> felt like the Democratic Party had sort of given up on them. I've never and... heard
1: it described quite that way, but I think, that's that's, I think there's really something. There. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, like, something they, to that. They were
2: willing to try anything, right? They're like, you know, screw it. If I'm dying this slow and agonizing death. Then sure, I'll I'll try anything. Let you know, I'll give this guy a shot. Who knows? He's saying all the right things. And in a state like Michigan, where you know, you have Donald Trump and his trade wars really hurting not just, you know, the manufacturing sector, but the agricultural sector as well. You have a lot of those those, those blue-collar households who were willing to give him a try four years ago who have been really disappointed and who had some buyer's remorse. So again, that third part of it, that third piece of it, guys, the white working class, it doesn't get a lot of attention. But I actually think that that could be Trump's biggest problem come election day.
1: And to your point, Kristen, about why why is Joe Biden able to make this connection in a way Hillary Clinton, I, I mean, I fully agree with Tim that it's mostly about gravity. But I mean, look, Biden is, uh, as we've talked about a lot, an old school Democrat, right? He is the kind of Democrat. He's been around long enough that when he first became a senator, the sort of blue collar union worker was at the heart of the party in a way that that worker no longer is. But that's how Joe Biden really formed his political identity. And it's how he even tells his life story growing up hard and, and Scranton like we've all heard about a lot. Um, and, that and we I all think roll that,
0: our eyes about, right? Like every time he says it, we're no, like, again, okay. but, but clearly but, but, that's, but, it's an important piece.
1: Right, the voters, some of these voters are not rolling their eyes. And I would just right. say two, two data points. I mean, one in the before times during the Democratic presidential primary, right? Bernie Sanders effectively had his last stand in Michigan, a place where he very famously beat Hillary Clinton unexpectedly in 2016, and Joe Biden blew him out. You know, he, he annihilated Bernie Sanders, and that's when the Democratic primary That's where the Democratic primary effectively ended um, earlier this year. And it was because it was really a sign at the time that that a lot of these blue-collar voters uh, were not especially liberal. They weren't really on board with Bernie Sanders' revolution. They just didn't like Hillary Clinton. They just saw more of themselves in Bernie Sanders. And I would also say, just even in the last few days, look, I mean, Joe Biden did yesterday this Amtrak tour through Eastern Ohio into Western Pennsylvania. He ended at Johnstown, uh, which is the home of the late uh, sort of legendary congressman, Democratic Congressman John Murtha, who was as old school and blue collar a representative as you would ever find. And this is a place that is um, incredibly, it has gone from incredibly Democratic to incredibly Republican um, just over the span of the last few decades but Joe Biden can credibly go into a place that he's not gonna win Cambria County, right? He's not gonna win Johnstown. Um, but he, can, he talked about cutting into the margins. He was asked this, he said he thinks he can win back some of these areas and that he can cut into some of the margins. And this, he also said, I thought this was really interesting, he talked about Democrats who have been forgotten, that the, the, some voters who the Democratic Party has, has forgotten to, to focus on, to talk about. And when I read that, this was part of the poll report released last night, um, When I read that, I thought, it's just hard to imagine Hillary Clinton saying that, or at least Hillary Clinton saying that with a lot of credibility. And it passes the the smell test when Joe Biden says it. And Mm -hmm. so there is just— And it's exactly the reason
0: why you've been writing for two years that Democrats are having this war about, you know, where their presidential candidate needed to be, what kind of presidential candidate they needed, what what was the— you know, was what was the characteristics of that? Was it a middle of the rolled old school Democrat like Joe Biden or was it Bernie Sanders, right? And it's it like now we are seeing right here in this state exactly why it needed to be Biden in the eyes of the Democratic Party. I, right?
1: I I I think there's a lot of you know, a pandemic helps too. A pandemic that most of the public, including many of these voters, think President Trump mismanaged is a big is a big assistance. But it, it absolutely I mean Joe Biden's entire theory of the case from the moment he started his campaign in twenty nineteen. Um, is has proven out so far, despite um, a lot of uh, derision along the way from someone like me.
0: So Tim, tell everybody who's not from Michigan what are the handful of counties they should watch on election night in Michigan to know where it's going? Yeah,
2: so look, uh, the fabled macomb county of of the Reagan Democrat years is like not super relevant anymore, right. It, and this is part of that political realignment that I was talking about and that we've all you know spent a lot of time uh, examining over the last few years. You know, a place like Macomb County, which was once a bellwether for the country, because it was, you know, overwhelmingly white, uh, working in middle class. Uh, you know, a, a lot of people who achieved the American dream by working in a plant, you know, 55 hours a week, and had enough money left over to, you know, buy a little cottage up north and a, and a powerboat to go on on the weekends. Like that's like that doesn't exist anymore, right? Like that's not the microcosm of America. You go next door to Oakland County, like that's a much better picture of it, right? Oakland County is the second biggest county in the state. It's the main commuter suburb outside of Detroit. Now, Oakland County is a place that... Uh, was the sort of uh, Republican, the classically Republican leave it to beaver throwback chamber of commerce country club suburb for, for generations. And it was a safe Republican place. And over the last 10 to 15 years, started to get more and more competitive, red to purple, and now purple to a light shade of blue. Now, Donald Trump, won Michigan narrowly in 2016 because he was able to limit his losses in a place like Oakland County, which is a diverse suburb. It's not one of these, you know, uh, Milwaukee suburbs that's like 95% white. Oakland County is like 70 to 72% white, getting more diverse by the day, high education levels, high uh, high, high household incomes. So Oakland County, Trump wins it, excuse me, Trump loses it in 2016 by eight points, right? If you can tell me come election night what Trump's losing margin is in Oakland County, I can tell you almost positively if he won the state or not. If, if, if Oakland County bleeds out to you know, 11, 12, 12- 15 points as a loss for Trump, then he's probably not gonna win Michigan, right? If he can hold it to eight, nine or you know, 10 points or less, then I think he's got a shot again. Another county I look to go west and uh, just a little bit, Livingston County, that's where I grew up. Livingston County was always this sort of, uh, it's it's sort of an exurb of Detroit, uh, very culturally conservative area, right? A lot of churches, a lot of guns, uh, a lot of uh, middle, middle class uh, sort of classic upbringing with good public schools and safe neighborhoods and everything else. This is an this is the 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 safest Republican county in Michigan going back decades, but again, Trump wins it by 30 points in 2016 and you start to see this drift over the last couple of years. This is exactly that sort of place where if you see Trump's margin go from 30 in 2016 down to even like 20 this time around, he's cooked, he can't win unless he's running up big margins in these more conservative areas of the state. And there's a real reason to believe that he can't do it. I'll give you one fascinating data point. In the 20, Rorty, you were referencing a minute ago, the Bernie Hillary primary in 2016 in Michigan, right? Where where Bernie Sanders pulled off the biggest upset of the entire primary, and he Mm -hmm. beat Hillary Clinton in Michigan. So uh, four years later, when it was Biden versus Bernie effectively in Michigan because the rest of the field had dropped out, the Democratic turnout in that primary in Livingston County was up 56% from where it was four years earlier in the Hillary-Bernie race, right? And I, t- I talked to people on the ground, Republicans in Livingston County, who have run races in that area for forever, and they they, they were sure it was a typo. They, they thought that it had to have been an error in the accounting from the clerks. There was no way that turnout went up that much in Livingston County on a Democratic ticket, but it did, 56%. And that is directly attributable to that same realignment. Essentially, what you have is a lot of those... Uh, college educated commuter households that have voted that have been voting republican for their entire lives that are now split where you have the the woman the, the the soccer mom who's voting for democrats because she can't stand trump anymore and there's a lot of reporting to bear that out and the husband is probably still voting republican but very reluctantly or he's begun to switch and he might be voting democrat too when you see that sort of slippage in a place like Livingston County it just it just it, it it reaffirms all of the data and all of the reporting to suggest that Trump has a real problem here and that it's going to be very difficult for for the math to work for him.
1: Tim, very quick question: Are Michigan Republicans nervous that Trump is going to pull out of the state entirely?
2: Very, yeah, very. They've been nervous about it for I'd say six weeks now, and basically they're they're watching the clock. Um, they, I mean, his his the, he he it would be it would be uh, incorrect to say that he's pulled out already because he hasn't. But his Mm -hmm. footprint on the ground here is remarkably light for being a month out from Election Day, and it's significantly lighter than it was just, you know, a month ago. I mean, there's been a pretty gradual pullback. The, The airwaves here are blanketed with Biden ads, and you're seeing very little from Trump.
1: Yeah. And if they pull back even further, I mean, it would seem to be a problem for the Republican Senate challenger there, uh, John James, who Republicans had a lot of optimism for. Um, and Democrats need to hold that seat if they want to win the Senate.
0: Alex, fair warning. I want to read a lot of household ticket splitting stories in the battleground states. I think that's a fascinating concept.
1: Hey, okay, we have so, one um, in the the Miami Herald. Um, about. No, I know. More yeah. than Florida. Let's get more let's than for- <laughs> more than Florida, please.
0: We got, you know, we got a lot of states that we care about. All right, we're going to the second part of the show, my favorite part of the show, where you guys get to tell me something you think I don't know, and we're going to start with Alex Rorty.
1: Well, just before uh, we started recording this podcast, uh, we broke news this morning on Senate Leadership Fund, the main Senate Republican PAC, making a $10 million investment in, drumroll, roll please, South Carolina, uh, Lindsey Graham's reelection against Democrat Jamie Harrison, um, an unexpectedly tight race that Republicans are suddenly nervous about, nervous in particular because... Jamie Harrison, because he's running against Lindsey Graham, is raising just an incredible amount of money. And there is fear that if Republicans don't even the score financially, that Harrison could sneak out a victory. I don't know if Republicans think ultimately that they're going to lose this race. In fact, I'm pretty sure they think they'll ultimately be okay in a deep red seat like that. But the point is, if you look at the down ballot posture and all the congressional races right now, it is a... Huge red flag for the GOP. We've been talking about Michigan. Politico reported this week that the DCCC had pulled out, ended its reservations in two key battleground seats in Michigan that were highly competitive in 2018. Um, uh, our colleague Brian Lowry from the Kansas City Star reporting that in Kansas, another deep red seat uh, that the uh, Republican Senate challenger Roger Marshall is actually in. Uh, what is effectively a dead heat, according to internal polls on both sides against the Democrat. Uh, So you have competitive races in Kansas and Georgia, seats that were incredibly competitive in the 2018 midterms, not exactly a good year for Republicans, um, are now suddenly being moved into the safe Democratic category by prognosticators. And we, you know, we can talk a lot about how just it, it's evident and the, the top line numbers of the presidential race um, are very alarming for the GOP right now, but the, the picture really doesn't get any better the further down the ballot you go when you take a closer look at the congressional races.
0: All right, Tim, you're up.
2: Look, I'll piggyback on what Rorty was just saying. Uh, we, look, we need to start grappling with the possibility that this could be a total bloodbath in November, right? And it's not to say it's going to be, but it could be. Like you could see the sort of wave election that we haven't seen since Reagan in 84 like you could see an absolute wipeout of republicans in places that you never expected to see it and and You know, Alex just mentioned these two seats in Michigan that were highly competitive in 2018 that are now basically off the map for all intents and purposes, because and these were safe Republican seats drawn to be like held by Republicans for decades. And suddenly they're not only held by Democrats, but they look like they're going to be held by Democrats somewhat easily. One of those seats is the 8th District represented by Alyssa Slotkin. Now I've spent the summer sort of embedded with her campaign, uh, when I've had the time to be embedded with her campaign, uh, writing this series of pieces, trying to understand what 2020 looks like through the eyes of a candidate in a battleground district, in a battleground state. Uh, I'm gonna give you a little taste of this story that this next installment, I think it's gonna come out maybe tonight or tomorrow morning in Politico, but this latest installment with Slocken, I track her over the course of a month, starting before the party conventions and ending just after Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. And she and her campaign, they're sort of on this roller coaster, right, where like one day they're feeling really, really good. They're seeing all these really positive signs. The next day, they're really freaked out because they're worried that Trump's law and order message is taking hold. She represents Livingston County, that very culturally conservative place I was talking about a minute ago where she lost badly in 2018 and she's counting on making some inroads with those voters so this has been a fascinating kind of up and down zigzagging trajectory to watch in a district like hers and she got back the results of this internal poll about a week and a half ago that her campaign was really really nervous about and basically the whole poll was built around trying to figure out whether the law and order message the, the, the fear mongering, as she said, of the Trump campaign was working and she was really concerned that it was. And they get the poll back. And instead, what they find is that her numbers are twice as strong essentially as it ever been in the district and that her numbers among white college educated women are plus 35 that her numbers among all voters are about double what they are on average and they're lo- trying they're looking under the hood trying to figure out how this is possible and it all comes back to the issue questions and they're realizing that all of these voters who are self identifying as being concerned about the violence in the streets and about the social unrest they are simultaneously blaming Trump for it. They are, they, they, they are holding him responsible, not, not necessarily for creating this environment, but for making things worse and for not doing anything to lower the, the temperature and bring down the volume. That is something that I have picked up anecdotally in my reporting over the last month, guys. But if that's true, if the metrics reported out in this poll are true, we are looking at a complete wipeout of the Republican Party this fall.
1: Well, I, w- I would just quickly point out our colleague, Dave Catney's reported the other week of how the Trump campaign had removed all its law and order messaging on air and gone completely economic yep. focused um, everywhere. And I think there's really no greater sign that that wasn't, working and Tim to your point maybe was actually counterproductive.
2: It it, it very well could have been and that's something I don't think any of us would have expected.
0: God I love it when you guys are so smart. (laughs) So smart.
2: Just born this way.
0: Love this conversation. All right so Tim thank you for coming on our show. Alex thanks for coming to work today.
1: Always happy to earn my paycheck.
0: It's lovely. If you guys have not read Tim's book, look, I'll show it to you again. Yeah. It's totally readable. Alex, go write a book so that I can plug it.
1: Yeah, Alex. I'm just hoping to finish my, like, 800-word story today. That's where I'm at right now. Baby steps. Cut Baby steps. it by
0: 200 words and then file it to me. <laughs> thank you to our producer, Jeremy Sheeler, and to our executive producer, Davin Coburn, and thank you to our listeners. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever app you're using these days and if you like what you're hearing please leave us a rating or a review and if you don't like what you're hearing i don't know email alex talk to you next week